you know, I feel so blessed and privileged to be up in front of you guys again. It, uh, it's been a little while. And um, for all of, our, uh, all of our visitors, I mean, I see my brothers and sisters uh, every weekend, but for all the visitors, um, I, I just want to let you know that, that we're blessed to have you here this morning. You could have been anywhere else and doing any other thing, but you chose to spend this time with us. And uh, I, I just want to uh, let you know how blessed we are to, uh, to see you. Um, we've got a repeat this morning. If y'all were uh, here last month, uh, I took and I preached a sermon called The New Man in My Mirror, and it was out of Romans chapter 3, and uh, this morning, it doesn't happen very often, but we do have a repeat. So if you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Now, as you move through the fourth chapter of Romans... It doesn't take long uh, to realize that, that you're, you're challenged by the life of Abraham. See, he was a man who was highly revered by the Jews of Paul's day. And Paul appealed to Abraham's life to teach his readers that salvation was purely the work of God. Now, in verses 1 through 8, if you, if you break it down, verses 1 through 8, Paul teaches that works just can't save us. In verses 9 through 12, Paul teaches us that circumcision couldn't save a soul. In verses 13 through 7, which is our text for this morning, Paul's going to uh, reveal to us the truth that keeping the law can't save the soul either. You know, as, uh, as I was preparing for this, I read, I read, uh, I came across an article, and on page 5, of the Catholic Twin Circle dated Sunday, January 5th, 1992, there's kind of a fascinating interview entitled A Century with God. And here uh, I want to share with you just a couple excerpts from that, uh, that article. <clears throat> it says that 108 years old, Charlie Shebenek of Richmond, California, may be the oldest Catholic in the United States. But he has a busier prayer life that most, than most Catholics half his age. During the day, he says the rosaries on an ancient set of beads. He likes Our Lady. He also likes Saint David and prays to him. Curiously enough, though, when asked who Saint David was, he said, gee, darn if I know, but I've been praying to him for years. Charlie's theology is simple and it's to the point. And he says the Catholic religion is the only religion worth a hill of beans. And so it goes on to say that he's trying to get in shape for that final meeting with his Creator. He says, it's, it's taken me 106 years, but I've finally stopped using profanities, and I've never been drunk in my life, not once. He goes on to say that we're all born under the curse that Adam and Eve brought on us, so we have to work real hard to go to heaven. That's the only purpose of our lives. Not fame, not fortune. I'm living in a hope that when I die, I'll go to heaven according to the laws of God. Now this was on page 5 of this thing. And as I read that story, I, I couldn't help it, but I began to like Charlie just a little bit. See, he's obviously a crusty old bird. <laughs> I mean, you have to be, to, to, to be 108 years old. And he clearly has a sense of humor. 
he knows that he's not going to live forever. He realizes he's on barred time already. And, 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 and because of that, he's getting ready to meet the Lord. So some of you out there be, may be asking yourself, well, why mention him in this context? Well, as I read that, I realized that he represents so many people in the world today. Do you notice what, what he said? He said, we're all born under the curse that Adam and Eve brought on us. And that's true. See, all, uh, most Christians would agree with him. But next to that excellent statement is one that is just tragically wrong. He said, we got to work hard to go to heaven. No, no, a thousand times no. See, that's what Romans chapter 4 is arguing against. You don't have to work hard to go to heaven. And, 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 and the sad part about it, he's a representative because, because Charlie's theology, it's so close and yet so far from the truth. He's obviously sincere, but when it comes to salvation, sincerity, sincerity isn't enough. You can be sincere about a whole lot of things, but you can be sincerely wrong. And I pray that, well, he's probably dead now, but uh, you know, it, my prayer was that before he died, God would open his eyes to see that it's not how hard you work, but whether or not you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. See, sadly, so many people in, in, in our day seem to think that salvation works according to that principle. And many people believe that if they do all the good things and avoid all the bad things, then God is obligated to let them into heaven But when they die. My friends, if you believe that, even a little bit of that, you're guilty of believing false doctrine. See, the truth of the matter is that nothing you can do can save your soul. It's, it is not, nor has it ever been, about what you do. Salvation has always rested on who you know. And this is the lesson that Paul wants to teach us this morning. He wants us to learn the truth that the law is a system of works, while faith is a system that works. He wants us to know that we'll never be all that we can believe. If that doesn't make sense, then think about it like this. You can never become by doing all that you can become by believing. Let me say that again. You can never become by doing all that you can become by believing. And I want you to look into it a little deeper this morning as we think about the subject, the new man in my mirror, where the law fails, faith prevails. First, I want to show you the problem with the law. If you'll look with me, Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, it says this, it says, the promise, uh, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, 
And the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, the key that unlocks the door of understanding concerning these verses is the fact that Paul is referring to a promise that the Lord made to Abraham. And this promise is found back in Genesis chapter 12, and it's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It goes something like this. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I'll show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is basically, when you look at it, a threefold promise God promised that, that God promised to Abraham. God promised uh, to make him the father of a multitude, to give his offspring the land and to bless all the nations of the world through him. And this promise boils down to a promise of salvation and points ahead to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years later. See, the idea that Paul is trying to get across in this verse is that this promise had nothing to do with the law. Absolutely nothing. In fact, this promise was given 500 years before the law was given on Mount Sinai. Paul's point is that, the, that this promise and the law are two separate events and should never ever be uh, confused. Now, the, the promise that Abraham received, it wasn't based on his goodness. It wasn't based on his goodness nor, or, or on his keeping of series of rules. This promise was entirely based on his faith in God. God didn't look at Abraham and say, you know what, Abe? You've been a pretty good old, uh, pretty good old boy, and, and you've done all that I asked, and and because of that, you know what? I'm gonna bless you. Didn't happen. In truth, if we if we read the Bible, Abraham failed God. He was merely a frail human, just like the rest of us, and yet he received the promise from the Lord, and and it was based not on his goodness but it was based entirely on the goodness of the Lord. And it swung on the hinge of faith. Now, if the promises of God require people to keep the law of God to obtain them, what does that say about the law and about faith? And Paul answers that in three short statements that need to be understood. And the first, the first thing I want you to see is that it cripples faith. It absolutely hobbles it. It's like you've been hamstrung. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 13. It says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. According to, according to Paul, faith and the law are mutually exclusive. See, if the promises of God are given out on a merit basis, then faith has no place in our lives. You can't have both at the same time. It's got to be one or the other. In other words, if you can get to heaven by keeping the law, 
then you don't need faith. However, if faith alone saves, then it doesn't matter whether you keep the law or not. And this is the root of salvation. See, it all boils down to what a person is trusting in to get them to heaven. See, if I believe I have to do certain things and keep certain rules in order to be saved, then I'm relying on the law. And it's frustrating. And, 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 and if I'm relying on this, even if I feel that I have to do these certain things in my life to remain saved, I'm relying on the law. How many people, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that I talk to that, that they can tell you the gospel and they can tell you what they trusted in. And then they say, well, you know, Brother Ray, it, uh, um, I, I do believe that uh, um, uh, uh, Jesus saves by grace through faith, but boy, you better, uh, you better work like the Dickens or work like the devil to hang on to it. If I feel that I have to do certain things in my life to remain saved, I'm relying on the law. If I'm trusting things, works and rules to get me to heaven, then I've nullified any faith of which I could boast. However, if I'm trusting faith to save me, then I know that it isn't what I do, but who I know that makes the difference in my salvation. Now with that in mind, I want to, I, I want to say that you can, you can try to get to heaven any way you want. And a lot of people do. You can try to be good and get there. You can, you can try to get there by trusting Jesus. But you can't have it both ways. It's either by the law or it's by faith. Which is it for you? You gotta decide. Secondly, I want you to show that, I want to show you this morning that it cancels promises. Look at verse 14. It says, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. If salvation comes by keeping the law, then we don't need the promises of God. What's the point of believing? If I can please God by behaving right, then I don't need Him to get to heaven. I can get there on my own just by doing what is right. Sadly, for anybody that's ever tried that, your efforts just don't work. You can't keep the law. No matter how good we try to be, we can't keep the law perfectly. It just doesn't work. Now, let me, let me give you an example. Suppose... I offered one of you, or all of you, it doesn't really matter. If I offered one of you a $100 bill to climb up on that, that uh, lighthouse up there and then jump off, flap your arms, and fly across this parking lot, who'd be the first to try? Got any, I, I got any takers? <laughs> what if I offer you $1,000? It's really easy. You're just going to climb up on top of that lighthouse. You're going to jump off, flap your arms, and then uh, uh, fly around that parking lot and come back in the front door. I give you, uh, I give you ten Benjamins. Let's make it a half million. Anybody want to try? 
Of course not. And you know why? Because it wouldn't matter if I offered you a billion dollars. No one in this room or in this world could do it. Now, you know, and I'll confess, I couldn't. I can fall with the best of them. I ain't figured out how to stop real easy yet, but I can fall with the best of them. And the best you're going to do is just look awkward and be on YouTube. But no matter what reward I offer, no one in their own power can keep the law of the Lord. Third, I want you to see that it condemns sinners. Look at verse 15. It says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. See, a third problem with the law is that it is the basis of our condemnation before God. It's the, it's the yardstick by which we're measured. And basically stated, the demands of the law are impossible for us to keep. Therefore, the, the, the more God demands from us, the more we fail. The more we fail, the greater our guilt. And the greater our guilt, the, the greater God's wrath against us. Anybody been down that, that circle? Or it, 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 down that path? See, in other words, it, we're in deep trouble because we can't keep the law. See, a law that stands in judgment of the sin that is in our lives, we, we can't keep it. And, and, and the bottom line is that if you're trusting you're in your ability to keep the law to get you to heaven, you're in a hopeless situation. Now let me clarify, and I, I, I want to build on this just a second. See, here's the problem with trying to be good enough to get into heaven. Look at James 2.10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one little bitty point, he's guilty of all. Simply stated, you could be absolutely, uh, I mean, doing this, doing that right, everything right, but you slip up one little time. If you break one area of, of the law of God, then you're guilty of it all. Suppose, for an instance, that you steal something. Didn't mean to, but you stole it anyway. <laughs> you might think that you've only broken the Eighth Commandment. And, and the Eighth Commandment, Exodus 20.15 says, Thou shalt not steal. However, a closer look at the Bible reveals that, in fact, if we have stolen, we've violated the entire Word of God. Notice what Jesus said here. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 Someone asked him, says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now I'm not going to sit here and comment a whole lot on this point except to say, how can you love God, your neighbor, or yourself if you're stealing from them. You know, I remember a time when I broke a window with a rock. I mean, a lot of kids have done that. And 
all I did was just knock one little small hole in the corner of the window. And truth is, I only broke part of it. But the entire window had to be replaced. It, they, they couldn't just, I mean, it was just a little bitty hole, but they had to replace that whole pan. My point here is this. There's no such thing as a little sinner. There's no such thing as a moderate sinner. And, and saying that there's a moderate sinner or a little sinner, that's kind of like, you know, it's just a little sin. It's kind of like saying that a woman's just a little bit pregnant. You either sinned or you didn't. In the final analysis, we need to understand that if we have broken the law of God in just one point, then we're guilty of breaking the entire law. And God requires nothing less than absolute perfection from you and me. Therefore, you know, with that in mind, we should, we should praise the Lord that salvation doesn't come by keeping the law, that it comes by simply by faith. You know, we've seen the problem with the law. Now I want you to see the power of faith. The other side of the coin. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, therefore. Now anytime you see that word, therefore, you need to look and, and see what it's there for. It's, it, it's a marker. And it says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of, his, of us all. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. Before him, who, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Well, that's a mouthful. But what I want you to see is that Paul is revealing the other side of this coin. And he tells us in, in these two verses that salvation by faith is far, far superior to the law. Because faith does what the law could never, ever do. Notice these truths with me now. Faith... It 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 uh, it uh, it admits the need for grace. Look at verse uh, uh, verse sixteen. It says, "Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace." See, faith it realizes the human inability to keep the law. We couldn't be good if we wanted to. It realizes that salvation must come about by the grace of God, or it's never going to happen. You see, grace is the unmerited love and favor of God toward sinners. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if salvation is undeserved, and, and, and since salvation is undeserved because we are sinners, and is based entirely in the grace of God, it totally rules out the idea of working or performing anything to obtain salvation. This also assures the soul of salvation. We have an assurance. You know, it, it, uh, we take in, 
a lot of people have a hope so kind of faith. We have a no so. And I want you to see here that in Romans chapter 4, he takes and tells you that, that you can have a no so kind of faith. Look at verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Why? To the end that the promise might be sure. This is a surety to all the seed, not to only that which is of the law, but to, uh, to that which is uh, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See, the problem he's addressing here in verse 16 is one of assurance. So many people go, you know, and, and, and it's sad because I talk to, um, uh, especially the older people, and I go, um, like my grandmother, I said, Grandma, do you know that if you died uh, today that you'd go to heaven? She goes, well, I hope I've done enough. And so many people, they can tell you the gospel. They can, they can tell you what Christ did. They can tell you what they're, they're putting their trust in, what they're believing in, but they have no assurance that it actually stuck. And the problem he's addressing here is, like I say, one of assurance. If salvation is approved by doing something or keeping the law, then no one can ever be sure that they're really saved. Is it possible to be sure of salvation? Absolutely. Look at 1 John 5.13. He writes here, John writes here, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may what? Hope that you have eternal... No, it's that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the Son of God, the name of the Son of God. See, this verse is clear. It is possible to be absolutely sure that you're saved. However, if I got to keep the law to be saved, then I can, and, and I got to do something, I can never really know for sure. Now I want you, I want you to think this through this morning. Look at Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. It says, "And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life." Now. The Bible tells us here that no liars will be allowed to, uh, into heaven. Now let me ask you a question. You ever told a lie? What does that mean for you? Or does it hinge on how many lies you told? Is it one lie, two lies, a hundred lies that will keep you out of heaven? Are little white lies okay? What about stealing? You ever stole something? Ever thought about stealing something? Ever cheated on your taxes? Have you always given God an honest tithe? See, the Bible tells us that stealing breaks the law. And we used this for an example earlier. Well, if that's, case, that's the case, and we're, uh, we're depending on, on works, then, then how much stealing is enough to keep you out of heaven? Is it $10? Is it $100? Is it $1,000? Let's look at it from the other side. All right? How much good do you need to be sure that you're saved? How many good deeds need to be performed for you to be sure that you're saved? How many good deeds need to be performed to outweigh the bad thing you just done? You see the point? 
if salvation comes about by the works or the law, then you can never ever be sure exactly where you stand. Look back at four, uh, verse 16. Paul says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be what? Might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Praise God. Paul tells us that the grace of God makes God's promise of salvation through faith absolutely sure. You and I can know salvation is a reality. And see, this is the basic problem faced by people who teach that one can lose their salvation. If you take it just a little bit further. How do you lose it? Is it one sin? Is it ten sins? Do you have to totally renounce Jesus as Savior? Can you just lay down your salvation and walk away? Um, where do you have to draw the line? In my opinion... People who believe that they are responsible to maintain their own salvation are in the same shape as the people to which Paul is writing right here. They feel that their salvation hinges on being able to keep a certain set of rules and regulations. And it's my opinion that people who really believe that they have to keep themselves saved are trusting in their works and not Jesus alone. And I got doubts that they were ever saved. See, if salvation comes by grace through faith alone, then my works have absolutely no bearing on my salvation. If I sin, I will be chastened. You know, it's one of the, uh, the reasons I love that I'm short. See, my ability to sin, it, it, before, I, uh, before I was saved, I sinned all I wanted to. After I was saved, I still sin all I want to. The difference is my wonder got changed. I don't want to sin. And I'm thankful that I'm actually short because I understand now that all my sins were, uh, were paid for, past, present, and future. And when I sin now, I'm knocked out of fellowship. It has nothing to do with my eternal security. It has nothing to do with my salvation. And I am thankful that I am short because the distance to re uh, restore that fellowship is from my knee to the floor. I am one of the last people to know when it rains and I can be one of the first people to take and restore my fellowship. Thank God for short people. <laughs> if I sin, I'm going to be chastened, but I don't lose my salvation because it's not mine to lose. I am kept by the power of God and nothing can ever change that fact. Now, you can believe anything you want to believe about this matter. But as for me, I'm going to trust Jesus to get me to heaven. And if it's up to me to keep myself in the faith, then you know what? I'll see you in hell because that's where we all are going to end up. If we have to rely on ourselves to stay saved or to get saved. Now, third point I want to make is that this allows all who will, who want to get you want to change, it allows all who will 
to be saved. Look at verse 17. It says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God. See, Paul, he, he, he draws from Genesis chapter 17, verse 5 now to make this point. And he reminds us that God promised to make Abraham the father of what? Many nations. Not just to the Jews. And since it is by faith, salvation is available to every person that draws breath. Every person in the world. There are no prerequisites. There are no additional requirements. God has absolutely thrown open the doors of salvation and He invites anyone who will come to be saved. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. If it isn't enough, He says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whoever will, I am a whosoever, Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, if there were restrictions on salvation, then certain people or groups would be left out. See, if it were just for the rich, the poor would go to hell. If it required an advanced education, then the uneducated would go to hell. See, the point is this. Salvation is from is for everybody. It's for all people from every walk of life in any situation and in any circumstance. See, when Jesus died on that cross, He died for the sins of the world. And anyone who will come to Him can be saved. See, this also acknowledges the power of God to save. Look at verse 17 again. It says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who what? Quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. See, faith works because it rests in the power of God. And Paul describes the Lord in two ways. First off, he says, God quickeneth the dead. In other words, he makes the dead to live. Secondly, he says, it says, God calleth those things which be not as though they were. In other words, he speaks and things which have not existed become reality. See, when Abraham placed his faith in God, he was made alive in God. And he received things from God that were impossible from a human standpoint. See, he saw a son born when he was 100 and his wife was 90. This illustrates the basic problem with the law. See, the law can't change a sinner and it can't make him alive. All the law can do is point out our weaknesses and remind us of impending judgment. This also illustrates the power of faith. See, faith saves because faith looks beyond the weakness and sinfulness of man. And it looks to a God who has the power to make a dead sinner alive and who has the power to take that person to heaven. Not by goodness, but by the power of the Lord. So, what does all this mean for us this morning? <clears throat> Simply this, if, 
if we ever hope to reside in heaven, then we got to learn the valuable lesson that it will only happen as we trust Jesus by faith. Your good works and your good intentions ain't going to save you. However, when your faith is placed in Jesus for salvation, what happens? You're, you're declared righteous. And you're accepted by God. And you experience something that the law could never ever produce. Look at Galatians 2.20. It says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, at the moment of salvation, you're given the very life of Christ. And God, it, 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 it's, only, it's only religion, and I use that term loosely, it's the only religion in the world where the Holy Spirit uh, comes in and says, let's roll up our sleeves and let's start, let's start changing things. And God begins the work of changing you from the inside out. Your whole wonder gets changed. Keeping the law demands outward change. But it can't ever change the heart. Salvation, on the other hand, changes the heart, which produces outward change with little effort on the part of the child of God. Let me close with this. Where's your faith this morning? Does it rest in the futility of the law and in doing good? Or does it rest in Jesus Christ and His shed blood? Your eternity hinges on the answer. God bless you, Pastor Bill. Oh, you have to sing extra loud because I took your microphone. Not everybody in the room today wants to go to heaven. I know that. There are some of you here that don't necessarily want to go to heaven. But I promise you, everybody in the room today does not want to go to hell. There's a difference. There's a difference. And a lot of folks thinking that they've not really been bad enough to go to hell. You know what you need to do if that's you? You need to think about that a little longer. Because you know how bad you've been. You know how you've sinned. The very, idea, the very idea that you could come before a righteous judge, even a human judge that looked righteous outwardly, and lay that before him. See, God knows what you've done. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. He knows why you did what you did. And, and you're going to come before God and, and say, well, I'm not sure if I've been bad enough. Has anybody ever called you stupid before? Think about that for a minute. Anybody here would raise their hand before God and say, God, I am ready. Give me what I deserve. I have any volunteers today? 
you're not going to volunteer to do that because you know the Lord is here and he's listening. And you are not. You, you might be stupid, but I promise you, you are not that stupid. I can't even imagine the level you would have to be mentally to be, to be willing to do that, knowing what you already know. I tell you what you are, you're loved, you're cherished, you're valuable beyond imagination. The very idea that someone who is worth more than all of humanity combined would lay down his life so that you could be saved. The very idea. I, you, ought, you ought to be you ought to be thrilled just to get to meet somebody like that. Someone who was worth that much. Well, I'm pleased to meet you. I'm worth that much. But I'm not worth two cents more than you are. Do you understand? You understand the love of God toward you personally? It we we get kind of thick headed sometimes, don't we, Vince? <laughs> we I mean sometimes we just can't seem to it just won't soak in. But it's there and it's real. Jesus died to save you. Amen. And he put us here to make sure you understand how it's done and how it works. And we're capable of doing that, by the way. Mm -hmm. We know because God showed it to us and taught us how to show it to you. You can understand this as clear as Brother Ray or Justin or me or Charles Stanley who just went to heaven. You can understand this. And you can possess own the very righteousness of God himself. How good do you have to be to have a citizenship in heaven? You have to be perfect. That's how good. Perfect. There will not be one sinner in heaven. None. Not one. You say, well, well that lets me out. You better believe it does. You know what you've done. And one or two sins or a little bit of sin is not what you've done. You surpassed that before you ever became a teenager, let alone what you've accumulated by now. It's not like that. You know how I became perfect? Creature, are you perfect? Yes, I am. I can prove it. I became perfect when God himself as a free gift, gave me his own perfect righteousness. That's how I became perfect. What did you do to deserve that? <laughs> Not a solitary thing. Nothing have I ever done to deserve any of that. But I own it. It's mine. And nobody can take it away. 
I can't even take it Why can't you take it away? Because I'm perfect. I just told you. That's what God gave me. That's what this whole thing is we're talking about. Faith by righteousness. The righteousness of faith. I put my faith in the shed blood of Jesus, God in the flesh, and he gave me his perfect righteousness. Freaking it's mine. And devil, you can't take it. It's mine. God doesn't give something and take it back. He doesn't. Because he's perfect. You're either, you're either absolutely sure that's what Graves talking about. There he is sitting back there. That's what he's been talking about. How to be sure. You're either absolutely sure that you're going to heaven. Right now, you're certain of it. Or you're not. There he told you what his grandma said. Are you grandma? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Well, I hope I am. That's you? If you're not sure? Because something else you're not. You're not saved. And you're not perfect. Because if you can look back to the day that God gave you his perfect righteousness, how much more certainty do you need? Amen? And if you're not sure, we need to fix that. Amen. And you can. The Word of God will solve your problem. Yes, you can be sure. Let's stand.